0: I don't care whether you share, like, or review this episode. I care that writers find it. I had a great talk with Debbie Burke about her editing services and how we as writers can pursue getting editors if we choose to self-publish, or the role of an editor in traditional publishing. No matter what, Debbie really sheds some light on this process that can be very confusing to first-time writers. So I don't want to have a long preamble here, but please, when you find value in this episode, please share it with a friend who's a writer and could use this information. Podcasts grow by word of mouth better than anything else, and you're out there getting some benefit from people like Debbie. So please let your friends know about this episode. If they're looking to publish, if they're interested in self-publishing, hybrid publishing, or traditional publishing, there's a lot of value here, and Debbie is an amazing editor. You can find links to Debbie's books, her editing service, and Everything Debbie in the show notes to this episode, so please check that out. Without further ado, please enjoy my interview on editing and writing and writing and writing with Debbie Burke. Welcome to Create Collaborate, the show for creative writers aspiring to publish their first book. My name is Jody Sperling, and I'm determined to help you, whether you self-publish or storm the gated walls of agents and editors. Today, you'll be hearing from an industry expert on how they made the leap from unpublished to published, and how you can do it too. You and I met through the Facebook forums, and I've noticed that you have just an extreme level of giving and generosity. Uh, You're there every single day you're finding people who have real questions and giving them meaty answers. You're not just answering those questions in a surface way, trying to tease them into asking you more and then leading them into an interaction where you can sell them something. Um, and we've seen that so much on, on these different uh, groups and forums that people are, are always trying to tease the sale out. So I wanna just jump into that conversation first.
1: Oh, great, thanks a lot. First yeah. of all, thanks for having me on Jody. Yeah. and um, this is a pleasure and an honor to meet you. Yeah, likewise. And I do notice your comments as well. Nice. Um, yeah, these these um, I was turned on to um, several of these uh, Facebook writers groups through a colleague of mine, Donna Lynn, who is a cover designer and graphic artist. And she and I pass each other referrals for you know clients looking either for editing on my end or mm-hmm. you know the cover design mm-hmm. that she does. And she said that uh, you'll you know I would meet a lot of people. I mean, I'll be honest, obviously potential clients, mm-hmm. but as well, you know, we all have something to learn from other people who have expertise in any of a million different facets of publishing. Yeah. So getting started in these groups, you know, you you can start out as kind of lurking, you know, see what what the what the flow is, what the what the mood is, how people interact with each other. And those who are serious will have serious questions and keep an open mind to to the answers. And I really like the interactivity and you know, people compliment me all the time, but there's, the, you know, what I do is just plain and simple. I mean, I am courteous. And if I find I can help, I, I'll try to offer something. And if I have nothing to add, I don't, I just like a post or something. But um, yeah. new authors are a special breed because, you know, we all have imposter syndrome in any creative endeavor. And imagine being, you know, remember when you were new to what you do, and how raw it felt and any kind of perceived criticism, you know, could really set you back and you wonder, you know, am I I really a writer? Am I really a fill in the blank? But if if you write, you're a writer. And if you haven't published yet, you're not a published writer, but you are still a writer. So um, people have vulnerabilities and we just, you know, you and I and everybody else who answers tries to help.
0: One thing that you mentioned in there that I want to talk about upfront because it can be really helpful for other writers who are starting to build their, uh, their I, I like to say platform instead of brand. I don't like the word brand because it feels really too salesy for me. And that's not what I'm, I'm here to do. I do want to sell books eventually, and I want to sell services as well, but brand has always felt hmm, not quite right. At any rate, uh, you're, you're being sometimes, I think, attacked by people. Uh, in these groups who misunderstand what you're doing or having a bad day or whatever's going on for them. Uh, And I wanted you to elaborate a little bit more on that because um, especially if that happens to you early on in this process, I really do strongly believe it can turn people away from trying to, to build a business this way. Um, How do you stay strong against it? And uh, can you give me some examples without, without getting too juicy of just, you know, what, what people attack you with, I guess.
1: You should never come at somebody in these groups, I mean, if you if you disagree, and I I, you know, I'm I'm from originally from New York, I have no problem disagreeing <laughs> with people and telling people how yeah. I feel. But you always preface it with, you know, that's not my understanding, or my experience has been different, you know, or I, you know, politely disagree, but I think XYZ. And like I said before, there's no reason for you know lack of courtesy. The whole reason for the group is to be informative and keep it upbeat so that we don't discourage each other. I mean, there are tough things to being an author, you know, to writing, you know, getting through finally writing a first manuscript and selling copies. Um, Here's another item that people are like really hot on, like, you know, how many books did you sell? And I'm like, I'd like to ask you what your annual salary is, you know, why is that any different? So we all, you know, we can all disagree, but um, there has to be level of respect when it gets too hot. I just block people. And I do have a long list of block people because there are some people who have less than stellar intentions.
0: I had one person, one time on the forum that I genuinely meant to help. And if I could remember her question, it would be great. But, but essentially she just came asking a question. And I, I think my, my response to her was, well, the way that you're opposing it, I don't know that that's actually possible. But have you ever considered X? And she went on to make a comment that it was a little uncertain to me. So I followed up and tried to clarify a little bit more. And then she launched at me and said, "Well, I asked a question about this, and then all you want to do is talk about this. And you know, you're you're such a jerk." And I was like, "Wow, okay." I I went, I blocked her. I felt really frustrated. I thought I had nothing but the best of intentions. And then I started to question: Am I? Do I have good intentions? I think that's the hard part of being where we are is that I do find myself having to pull back. And I don't know if this is true for you or not, but I find myself having to pull back. Sometimes I just really want one more person paying attention to what I'm doing because there is value and and growth matters. And, And so sometimes I have to say, well, that person doesn't need what I'm here to sell. And just having them in the mix is not actually important. Does that ever happen to you? Do you ever intentionally pull back from somebody that you, you maybe were having a conversation with because it's clear to you that maybe your services aren't a perfect fit.
1: Yeah, not so much my services, but my message or okay. what it is that I'm saying in the thread. And um, I just don't answer at that point. I pull yeah. back, and um, whether or not I block, which is you know kind of extreme, but it's not a problem if you do block somebody. But you know, there's enough people, and I'm sure you probably also get positive feedback that say, "Wow, thank you. You know, that was helpful." That's really what it's all about. When you get that, you feel good, like you were able to give something to someone. And it's not transactional. You're not asking for something in return.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that is so nice is that you know that at least 75% of everything that you uh, interact on the, the, the forums and the groups is just you being there and helping people. And you don't get anything from it except the sense of helping somebody along. So let's take a step back. Tell me a little bit about your publishing and editorial history.
1: I've been writing all my life. I have been in other industries besides publishing. I've been a probation officer for New York City um, courts and I've been in marketing and PR and print production and um, all all, all kinds of, I've been in healthcare. So I'm 63, so I've had quite a bit of varied career there. It was only when I was in my fifties, I really got into jazz quite a bit. And I was living in Northeast (sighs) Pennsylvania and there's a big jazz scene up in Northeast Pennsylvania. And in fact, um, they've since passed, but there are a couple of really, really famous international NEA jazz masters, you know, living up there. And I thought, oh, this is so cool. And I joined a community band and I was playing alto sax and I'm looking around and, you know, people were talking about these guys, Phil Woods, Bob Duro, Dave Liebman, um, Rick Chamberlain are some of the names up mm. there. And um, I said, wow, I wonder if there's a book about this. You know, and like many of us who want to find out more about a topic and there is no book about it, you say, well, I'm going to write that book. I mean, how many people does that happen to? Exactly. So I said, well, I'm going to write that book. And um, this was um, in my early 50s. And I started out by calling it a project because I was so scared to say, commit to writing a book. And I'd written a lot, but I'd never written a book. And I was scared to death and um, identified about 20 people to interview including those, um, you know, heavy hitters in jazz. Mm. and jazz. And I said to myself, you know, I kind of left the fate, uh, the fate of the, the whole project up to this one person, which really is a coward's way out. But anyway, mm. I said, if the guy responds favorably to my request for an interview, then that's a good sign. But I didn't say I'm writing a book because I was scared to say, I'm writing a book. You know, what if you don't come through? And, you know, people can say, where is this book? You know, that never happens. But in my mind, I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm going to commit to this. And people are going to say, okay, so wish book? So I said, I'm doing, working on this project. Would you agree to be interviewed? And he said, yeah. And afterwards I said, you know what? This is for a book I'm writing. And it's called Poconos and B-flat. So I interviewed all these <laughs> guys. And, you know, I went to their homes and guys and women. And, you know, I did um, Deer Head In. I went to live shows and stuff. So I started writing about jazz. And that was the beginning. You know, I understand how you feel about the word brand, but that really did kind of brand me and it's not, oh, now I can't write about anything else. I just love writing about it.
0: So one one of the things too, is like many people, when I'm in the groups, if I, if I notice somebody, I often will click on your hover card and then check your profile out as much as I'm able to. And I saw on your uh, banner, the, the Poconos and B flat. And I thought, man, that is a fantastic title. It's such a good title. Uh is this just, was that just a moment of inspiration or did you have help with it? What's the story there?
1: I'm so glad you brought that up because there's there's something associated with that title. Um, you know, when I play alto sax and I haven't played in a while and I also just got through COVID and my like breath intake is still not up to par so I can't be playing right now. Um, it's very frustrating, but when I was playing alto sax, I liked the note B flat. I was able to bend it. And I really sounded like hot, you know what, you know? So I'm a very, very mediocre player, don't get me wrong. But that was just a note I loved. I wanted the title to be something musical. And uh, as you know, this is a nonfiction book. And um, so I interviewed, I'm, I'm just gonna put it out there. I interviewed um, the most famous of the bunch is Phil Woods, who was, was, you know, he passed several years ago, just an icon on the, um, on the sax and um, just a master and known internationally, you know, he, you know, his discography is ridiculous. So after I interviewed him, I sent him the interview to, to look it over and make sure that I was quoting him correctly, which I think is good practice in nonfiction. If you're quoting somebody, let them, not that they're going to rewrite your book, but let them make sure that they're okay with how they are portrayed in a quote. I think that's a nice, a good tip for somebody as far as editing goes. When I sent word out by email that my book was out and I said the title of it, I got an email back from him that said, cease and desist, my heart stopped. And he said, I opened it up and he said, you stole the title of my book. My attorneys will be in touch. Well, you can imagine I've, my blood froze and I didn't know what to do. So I have a cousin who's an IP attorney in uh, New York Rockefeller Center, and he knows all about this kind of stuff. He said, no, don't worry. You can't um, copyright the title of a a song or of a book. And um, so I promptly told Mr. Woods this information. And um, I thought it was really funny because I did have, like I told you, the genesis of this title was that I like to bend that note. And his book is called A Life in E-flat. I mean, maybe two words are similar, and uh, different authors, different perspectives, different lives, everything different. So that always makes me smile. And, you know, I could, I could understand his knee-jerk reaction to it. And um, I was actually, after I calmed down, I was actually kind of, um, I felt like it was a compliment to me that you're going to sell so many books and people are going to confuse our books. And I'm like, that should only happen to me. So that's that little funny story about the title
0: that is that is wild and I will definitely link to your book so that people have the opportunity to pick it up um, you had the better the better title in the first place I wonder about the relationship there did you find that it stressed the relationship did you lose an opportunity to be close with a fellow jazz musician or after that kind of was taken care of do you find that it settled down
1: It settled down. I mean, I I think he, you know, I'm sure he had, you know, he has since passed, but I'm sure he had his cadre of, you know, attorneys and legal teams and, you know, managers and all that. And they said, yeah, Phil, you know, you can't you can't uh, own unless you trademark it, which is different, which he hadn't done, and just let her have her title and don't worry about it because after all, I mean, he doesn't. It's not as if, uh, you know, a famous person needs a small budding writer but it doesn't hurt. And it's free PR as far as I'm concerned. And he approved of all the content. So I just kind of, you know, I just kind of laughed it off and you know, on we go. But um, in in nonfiction, you can have these kinds of things happen. I mean, I've actually had people say to me, I wrote a book on Klezmer, which is um, basically um, music from the old country, um, Jewish music, think Fiddler on the Roof. Okay, that kind of stuff. And I had somebody in that world which is, you know, each, each world that you discover when you're writing a book or doing research has like its own, it's its own realm with personalities and, you know, you know the, the icons, the figures, the lesser knowns and all that kind of stuff. So it's always fascinating to start on a new line of, uh, of research. I had someone say to me about that book, what makes you think that you're the one to write this book? And that was really like unnecessary. So I think what I did was not reply and just block their emails and did not use their interview. And then posted, I posted copiously uh, with the link to, on all the sites that, you know, people who follow this kind of music would would follow. So I'm sure this person got rid of it. But, you know, that's really ter- a terrible thing to do to a creative person. What makes you think, you know, you could sing that? What makes you think you're an artist? You know, why... And and people have to realize it says more about the speaker than about the object of their, you know, what they're saying. So it's unfortunate, but authors are going to come across this all the time. So we have to have thick
0: skins. So you've published seven books and had an opportunity to use all three of the major methods from vanity press to traditional publishing, and then finally, self-publishing. I know you landed on self-publishing as your preferred method. Can you talk about all three of those methods and why self-publishing is especially appealing to you?
1: Okay. I appreciate you asking. Um, The first one was the Poconos and B-flat. And I was just hot to get my book out any way, any how I could. And um, this was over 10 years ago. So we, you know, the accessibility to literary agents and to uh, publishing houses and such was so much more limited than it is today for an author. And it would have been, you know, it, it was very uncharted te- uh, territory and I didn't have any fellow writers to ask, you know, how did you go about getting published? I mean, most people I knew didn't get published um, at all. So um, what, what used to be called vanity press, and now they've kind of made it a euphemism like hybrid, but it means the same thing. It means you're going to pay to play. It means you pay for them to publish it. Um, and you know, you'll see in these groups, you know, never pay to get published. Well, the exception might be if you have very challenging circumstances and you don't have the time to devote to, to really you know, searching out a publisher or an agent. Or you don't have the time to ramp up and, and, and get to learn about how to self-publish. I understand that people do vanity publishing or hybrid publishing. And it's, it's not a sin. It's just, you know, it used to be looked on. Well, it still is kind of, you know, don't pay to get published. I mean, that's that's a mantra. And you just have to, if you want to do that, you know, I would say just go ahead and do it so you get your first book out. Because you're going to learn so much anyway that from there... You can then, you know, elevate your your game and you know really learn more about publishing what it is you want to do. So with a vanity, you will um, they'll have um, packages that you'll you'll pay you'll pay for you know the most basic would be like maybe uh, a one edit with a chance to make one round of changes and um, they uh, you tell them what you want in the cover and they'll give you like three comps. And you pick one and that's the end of it. And they'll upload it and get the ISBN and the barcode and all that stuff. So at the time, you know, over 10 years ago, um, those packages were going for like two grand, which I didn't have. And they would run promotions every so often. And the promotion that was just coming up and my manuscript was finished and it was just poised, waiting for the right moment to strike. This particular one was, it was $700 and they were gonna give me everything. And I'm like, I just want my book out there. hell or high water no matter how you know so that was you know how and why i went to vanity publishing the first time around and a lot of authors you know you'll find out that they um after the first book they're bitten by the bug so then they just that's all they want to do is write and some quit their day jobs and some don't but um many first-time authors go on to write their second and third and so on book so my next book was um with a small publisher i I, again, didn't, I didn't want to do the whole, you know, get my list of literary agents, get my list of small publishers and, and do the whole query process because that can take, you know, from a year to 18 months by the time you get picked up. And, you know, I'm an impatient person and um, I didn't want to wait for that. <laughs> and I also like to call my own shots. I really have an individual vision for, for my, my creative stuff and um, not sure I wanted to go that way. Um, I found my publisher on Twitter and she was um, posting for open submissions. And so that was an easy enough, um, you know, query for me to put into the search bar in Twitter, you know, seeking submissions, open for submissions and so on. So they did my second book, which was a novel. A little spicy, not erotica, but a little spicy and contemporary romance uh, set, you know, in a jazz setting. And um, so this was a publisher that was a traditional small publisher, i.e., didn't charge. But soon after I signed with them, they changed their model to be hybrid. So I was kind of grandfathered in, which I was happy about, but I wasn't happy about the model going forward. And um, I thought after this, I would try my hand at self publishing and see what it's all about. You know, just dig in, you know, roll up my shirt sleeves and learn how to. Um, format the book, how to upload it, and um, marketing, which is not my strong suit, and I'm still learning. Marketing is a whole big white world, and um, you know I don't have it down pat yet, but I have a few ideas on how to do it. So, so with self-publishing, that doesn't mean that just because I'm an editor, I didn't get it edited. I did. I get all my books edited. I send them out to somebody I've worked with um, in my days of um, being the editor for a business journal. Um, I met a few people and I use them occasionally. And um, you have to have your book edited. I don't care who you are and what kind of degrees you have and what an expert in your field. You need editing because the mind forgives mistakes. And the more you read your own mistakes, the more you're gonna not notice them. And um, it's humbling because you say, man, I missed that. How did I miss that? You know. And but that's actually what you hope for—that someone can polish it up, and then you have the confidence that okay, it's good now.
0: As far as that that editing question goes, because we're going to get there with your editing business. Um, okay. Do you do you feel that someone needs an editor uh, in terms of development of plot? and uh sharpening all of that or do you think that some writers are capable of doing the conceptual edits themselves and that an editor can serve in the later part of the book what what's your philosophy as far as that goes just a a high view because like i said we're going to dive into a little bit deeper the editing process as it pertains to your business but speaking right now with that piece and self-publishing and editing what's the necessary role in your opinion what's the very least i guess
1: I don't think everybody needs developmental editing. And I, I offer it as uh, you know just a, a series of things that I do. But many people, first of all, many people don't know the difference between copy editing and developmental editing. Um, and developmental editing is, is, I think, important for the first timer. And so I did have, I did use, not a developmental editor, but I used beta readers for my first, um, the novel, not the nonfiction one. And um, it, it was a big help. It was a big help. So I think it has merit. But when you start to get your stride and um, refine your voice, um, I don't think it's a necessity unless there are things that the author himself feels are just not right. And they just don't know how to, how to go around it or go through it and, and, and finesse it. So, I know that was kind of like a namby-pamby response, but I don't think everybody needs a developmental editor now.
0: You mentioned the term uh, better reader. And that's something that I've not used before. So my my own process has been to have, and I guess you could call him kind of a, uh, a better reader, but not the way that I understand it to be now, uh, a classmate that reads all of my work. I send it to him before I'm ready to shop it. Um, and then ultimately it's just the Warhammer that is my wife. She is relentless. She can't be any other way. And so if something doesn't work, she just, she won't be quiet about it. That works for me. Not everybody has that. She's not literary either though. And that's something that I really appreciate. And I think is, um, underused in our industry is finding people who aren't writers to read our work because our target audience isn't other writers. They are within our target audience, but when we're, when we're actually writing books, those aren't people we're going after. We're going after readers and they are very, very different people. It's so it's, I, I, you can't say it enough. Readers and writers are not the same. I would say all writers are readers, but by no means are all readers writers. And so finding readers is great. Um, the one area where I would like to clarify too is that a, a beta reader can be extremely helpful if you're writing something, even in fiction, that's technically outside your area of expertise. So I've used a little bit of that when writing something about um, technology right now. I I just don't understand how to like code a website, and so if I've got a character who's supposed to be a website coder, then mm-hmm. I find somebody who codes and I ask, "Can you read this over and tell me where I'm getting it wrong?" And that's extremely helpful and you shouldn't have to pay for that usually right would you agree
1: no i don't agree <laughs> you don't you want
0: you want to actually I, so no, I, when you're talking about that technical I, read you would pay for that
1: i would okay. i mean nobody wants to dig into their pocket but i mean this is the thing also about beta readers that you'll see on these groups you know the facebook writers groups and so on is that um you know my beta readers is taking so long and you know uh, they were terrible well you're not paying them and um, if you want a professional job, um, you can either get a developmental editor or a, a, a beta reader. And I mean, you, your friends will give you just a gut instinct on, you know, things that maybe didn't fit in your story, but you're not going to get anything, um, probably not going to get anything too far developed that's going to be um, of help in really fixing the whole thing from inside out. And um, I I do think anytime you ask somebody for their expertise, I don't know if paying is the right word, I would definitely say, um, I'll give you a signed copy, I think that would be the least. um, And what you're talking about that kind of research that's done in fiction and nonfiction. So that's totally legit. And totally, I mean, you you gain credibility when you write about a topic um, in an informed manner. Mm -hmm. And even though it's, it's fiction, and you could make make shit up, you know, you can do that. It's still, you know, it still behooves you as an author to have some kind of foundation of, of, you know, actual, you know, knowledge of this field.
0: And I might be speaking only from experience where the the couple of times that I've used a reader like that, it's it's been a few pages um, where I just felt that it would be too glaring not to have somebody with expertise look it over. So it wasn't a huge ask. I think if I were writing a book from the point of view of a, uh, an airline pilot, I would probably reach out and offer to pay an airline pilot to read it and give me real feedback. And in that case, give me a couple of tips. I do, we've only got about 10 minutes left and I want to be really respectful of our time here. Um, But give me a couple of tips about if you're looking for that, that beta reader that you're willing to pay, um, how would you go about doing that?
1: Well, you know, the first thing, just like with an editor, you know, wh- what books have you, um, you know, worked on? Have, have you beta read? And what is the, you know, can I give you my top five concerns about my manuscript that you will um, address specifically? And as the author, you know, it's, it's important for you to come across with specific items so that they can say, yeah, this character was wonky. You really didn't have them acting consistently all the way through or, you know, whatever the issue is. Um, you know, ask for, you know, you know, client referrals so that you can say, you know, was this person helpful? Because they might just be looking for reading material and, you know, read it and just throw you a, you throw you bone and it's not really that helpful. So, um, but the closer you come to, you know, paying a professional for services like this, you know, you know, you can expect more because you're paying for it, but just be specific in what you're looking for.
0: Perfect. And it's a great transition to your editing business. So I do apologize. We didn't get a chance to talk about your books as much as I want to, um, but I'm going to link to each of them in the show notes. So everybody will have an opportunity to go and learn more about you. Absolutely. Thanks for your time. Um, Let's, let's land this on the editing business. I'm going to flip-flop things a little bit. First, tell people where they can go to find your editing services. Where do you, do you want them to go to your website? Do you want them to find you on your Facebook profile? What's ideal?
1: Um, the name of the company is Queen Esther Publishing, LLC. So that's the web address, queenesterpublishing.com. Perfect. Without the LLC. Um, I'm also in the in the writers groups at, um, you know, my name is out there, Debbie Burke, or sometimes I think my handle might be jazz author. But if you go through queenesterpublishing.com, that's where you'll find about me, my rates, some of the books that I've edited. And um, I, you know, knock on wood, I get a lot of manuscripts to do every month and um, they're not all posted up on the website. So um, just like I said, you know, you should ask for references for your betas. You should ask me for my references too. And, you know, Sam, uh, his books, you know, books that I've edited and my own books also. You, you want to see how an editor himself or herself writes. So if the editor is also an author, definitely check out their books too.
0: Absolutely. Perfect. Okay. And talk to me a little bit about your, your, uh, editing business. One of the ones you mentioned, uh, before we hopped on for this conversation was some of your post pandemic observations. So I'm certainly curious to, to kind of lead into there.
1: Well, I, I found that with lockdown, a lot of people thought, okay, I've always wanted to write a book. This is a good time to write my book. And a lot of them that came out of that, um, I can't say it's an era yet because we're still kind of at the tail end and it's not been long enough. But of, of that period, especially when lockdown first happened, um, was memoirs. So people who are writing about um, challenging events or the struggles, uh, you know, abuse, domestic abuse, or you know, um, adoption, you know, being in foster homes, um, addiction and recovery, those kind of things. There was. I got so many clients who have written about that and, and just basically came clean and put it all on paper, which I'm sure was helpful for them to begin with. And, uh, so that's, that's a lot of what's come out of the post pandemic as well as, you know, um, people just trying to hand at things like, you know, romance or erotica, YA, um, fantasy, those kind of things. That's been a big push from after the, you know, during and after the pandemic.
0: Okay, so you're just you're seeing a a lot of memoirs, a lot of come clean moments for sure. So yep. So what should what should new authors know about your editing process and the editing process generally?
1: Um, in general, you want to vet your editor, so you want to see you know what books they've edited. Look them up on Amazon and and use the um, look inside feature to actually read some of the pages that Amazon provides for free. And if it's a cruddy job, do not use that editor. um um, conversely you should also ask the editor for some references and um i would say i love to talk to my um, clients before i we sign an agreement together so we'll do a zoom or at least a phone call so that they can get familiar with me and also this is really self-serving for me because i can hear the tone and cadence of their voice how they use um Vocabulary, how they phrase things, and that helps me as an editor because I'm thinking of their voice, not my voice, in a book in their book, and um these are things that you should do to you know check out your editor. It's also a you know financial kind of transaction, and you want someone who you know you can afford but if if the price is really, really low, you're probably going to get the appropriate kind of editing so i'm I'm right pretty much there in the middle, I mean there are there are companies that charge thousands more than I do. And then there are Fiverr people that will charge, you know, $50 for any manuscript up to a hundred thousand words, pretty much in between.
0: That's absurd. I, uh, I do have to say that this is one area. If you're going to pay for an editor, pay... For a good editor, I don't, I don't understand, and I see it uh, in in the Facebook groups constantly. People are asking, "Where can I get a cover design? Where can I get, uh, you know, layout design? Where can I get an editor?" And and it's always, always about price. And I'm thinking to myself, "Well, again, I mean, this is the whole tangent, and I will not go off on a tangent when we have three minutes left." But uh, it, it's frustrating to see people realize a great, well edited, well written, perfectly designed book will earn back all the money and more um, with, with the effort that you put into it. So apologize, somebody's hammering right now. That's my wife. Um, let's wrap it up. Tell me what, uh, what writers should know, new writers specifically should know about uh, the publishing process.
1: Um, okay, so I guess one of your major decisions as an author is gonna be, are you gonna self-publish or traditionally publish? And just know that if you're gonna self-publish, there's a learning curve. Um, I, for one, can definitely help you walk you through that. Uh, besides editing, I also format manuscripts, which you have to, you can't just throw a Word doc up there. Amazon won't take it. And there's certain, you know, things that have to be done. Um, And if you're not going to self-publish and you traditionally publish, there is a huge learning curve with that. And then you have to identify your agents, your, your, the presses that you want to pitch. You have to um, write your query and you have to write it according to their specs, not just what you see in these groups. That's, Whatever you read in, in, in groups and with feedback is a great starting point, but do your specific research. And each each press has their own thing that they want. They want an introductory paragraph. Maybe they don't want your the ending of your story or maybe they do. It depends. So I'd say pay very close attention to the publishers that you're trying to
0: pitch. Research is the key there. And no matter how you publish, whether you go through hybrid vanity, um, or traditional publishing or self-publishing, marketing yourself is the only real surefire way to sell books. There are exceptions, but if you aren't comfortable marketing what you've done, uh, you have to be comfortable with kind of a, a smaller a smaller um, outcome in terms of sales. Is that would you would you agree you've seen that be the case?
1: Yeah, uh, but the exceptions would be like if something somewhere catches fire somehow. Mm-hmm. And a person who reads your book or learns about it um, becomes like a brand ambassador for you. They just take it and run with it. So those are wild cards. You can't count on them, but they're wonderful when they happen. But you do have to market, And I'm a little deficient in that area. You know, I'll admit it um, because of, you know, all all else that I'm trying to work on. Mm -hmm. But um, you have to. You don't just publish it and then walk away from it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I would love to continue the conversation offline. Um, I know that you you have other commitments to get to. So let's go ahead and wrap up. Debbie, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. If I haven't said it enough times, I apologize. I've not made this easy on you. You've been amazing to talk to and just calm as can be. And uh, you provided me an outline to go with. So everything was just fantastic. I, I loved your time and it's going to be such a help to my listeners. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Jody, so much.
0: Thanks for listening today. And remember, you should never feel bad for telling your truth. So get out there and write. And if you've got a killer story, apply to be a guest on our show. Email me at jodyjsperling at gmail.com or find me on Facebook, Jody J. Sperling. And hey, there's no point in telling stories if nobody's listening.